The only shooting stick with one-handed trigger pull adjustments has a new way to keep you at the top of your game. The Trigger Stick Apex. Built for sturdy support that adapts to unforgiving terrain with easy adjustments to make your big shots. With our Durasteady three-piece carbon leg design and interchangeable rock-solid clamp, nothing tops the Apex. The Trigger Stick Apex, only from Primrose. If you hunt enough, you learn the truth. What you seek speaks a language and knows it well. That's why every Primo's call for everything you hunt is made the right way. We sweat every detail so you get more out of every hunt and nothing leaves our hand until we know it'll work in yours. Because we don't just make the world's best calls, we speak the language, Primo's. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I am Dale Luganbill. Thank you for joining me. Ooh, we're right around the corner. Right around the corner. In fact, uh, if you're listening to this brand spanking new, as it comes out on Thursday the 3rd, December 3rd, 2020, December 4th, Friday through Sunday the 6th, you will find a virtual ice show a live virtual ice show because the saint paul ice show is canceled this year due due to the dirty rona as i'm sure you all are aware of by now uh so doug glimmerveen of the smackdown outdoors podcast myself and patrick patches olson from the lone angler podcast are going to be doing a live broadcast friday saturday and sunday so we have a bunch of vendors like 47 vendors lined up they're going to be pitching their wares, so check out the uh, SmackDown Outdoors podcast Facebook page. Uh, I believe it's on its Instagram as well. I'm, I've shared it on my social medias, the schedule. So look on there, see which vendors you want to uh, check out. Set an alarm or reminder, whatever you got to do. Um, join us live. We have a ton of prizes to be given away, uh, some more Reason to tune in. The more you share it, more different places. Make sure you set your shares to public so we can see them and give you credit for them. That you will get entered into these drawings. Like, uh, we're there's a like a whole ice house that's being given away. Uh, tons of stuff. I don't have the list in front of me right at the moment. Um, although I did just talk to uh, Eric Wallace of Wallace Decoys. He's going to be giving away some of his uh, phenomenal decoys that he that he makes and paints up his stuff is just awesome um so yeah that there's a ton of reasons to tune in share 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 and share some more get entered in and win yourself some kick-ass prizes and learn what's new and good uh in the ice fishing industry so yeah that's coming up so i'm super excited to do it hopefully you're as excited to watch and listen uh, as I am. So, all right, let's get to this episode. On this episode, speaking of ice fishing, I'm talking to Lawrence Luma. That's right, because there was a bunch of tight lining stuff going on. If you were watching Facebook, uh, apparently I went live for like an hour. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, but yeah, so last weekend was my first real experience trying to tight line. I'm sure it was painful. For Lawrence to watch that, <laughs> being an expert in it and me being a novice, 
Uh, but he was giving me some pointers there on my live video. And then I had some other people reach out and were asking me questions. And uh, so I thought, let's just do a tight line episode. And uh, so I handed him the reins. And I think we did a pretty good job of getting all the details in there. So grab a notepad and a pen and uh, make some notes and get in on the tight line craze, if you will. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I know I'm going to do it a lot more. Um, and I think it's going to up my game a little bit. Definitely think it's going to help me catch a few more fish. So hope you enjoy this episode. It's all about the tight lining and the schoolie reels. This is Lawrence Luma on the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. <laughs> Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Hey. Oh, I love that sound. This is a good one. have with me Mr. Lawrence Luma. So there's been a buzz since my last uh, little live video where I was attempting to tight line, probably making you cringe at every turn. No. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I've had people reach out to me and they're like, when when was that? When did you talk about tight lining? Was that on Doug's show? Was that on your show? And I'm like, dude, I don't remember. He's like, we should do another one. I've had a, a few people kind of reach out about, like, what's going on with that toy reel I was using. And um, so I'm like, well, and we had, you had been giving me some pointers. I want to have a couple right. more rods made up. So I'm like, all right, let's just do a tight line episode. So this one will probably be as on task as any episode I have ever done. <laughs> well, we'll see. I don't know. I'm pretty good at derailing. We'll see. Things. Yeah. Well, let's I can see. take it off ten, 10 different ways too. So yeah, right. So let's just like let's just start off with like describing the technique and like why are we using these three dollar toy reels versus well, let's a uh, kind. let's first be clear too with the tie lining, the three dollar reels and the type of reel, all that kind of stuff doesn't really matter, right? So the big thing about tight lining is it's more. And I got all this stuff right here too, show them video if you want. But perfect. Well, you know, the biggest thing right here is to line it up here, the background a little better. But you can't, maybe you can see the yellow line. If you can, maybe hold it closer, it does. But the biggest thing is using yellow line, right? So now with the yellow line and tight lining, it's not necessarily about the rod and the reel yet. Let me, I'll get into that a little bit because the rod and the reel is personal. But the biggest thing is you, you just need yellow line. That's number one. And yellow is a big key. There's other companies that have green and orange and all that stuff. And I personally don't like the colors. Some people say they use it. Most guys that I know that are serious tight liners don't. They only use yellow also. And I think the biggest thing is I think yellow is the only color that I've never seen actually have an effect with uh, um, not have an effect on fish. Where I've seen yellow, green, other ones like that to where the green is just hard to see um orange you can see in the water and i'll get in more in depth than there too on how what you're actually looking at in the water but the yellow is just a in certain lines too just glow in that water and that's what that's what you're really looking for. 
for. So and are, is it's, this, uh, it's about the yellow line. And it, as far as the line goes, and is this color affecting fish, scaring fish, whatever? Now, is this anecdotal evidence? Like you just, you seem to do better when you're using X line, or has somebody actually dropped a camera down there and watched fish's reactions? I would say, I would say when I first started out tight lining, it's, I would say I started using the orange just because that's available, right? Because the hard part was always trying to get yellow line in the first place, especially when I started using it. But so I started using the orange, but then I noticed when I was using yellow and orange, it seemed like orange, I just wasn't getting bit. So I don't, so I wouldn't say anyone's actually put so side by side to look at it. Okay. But at the end of the day, it's just more about what I'm actually able to see underwater. Right. The best personally and i think uh it goes with a lot of guys i know have done series just they like yellow also yeah that seems underneath it, there it works i mean obviously you guys catch a shit ton of fish using it so it's <laughs> right i think the argument can be made it's not scaring the fish off so well and what's really cool is like i mean here's because i haven't used this yet but this is the that's the goal two pound test i'm a huge two pound test guy and that's what i and... was using in the video and let's let's talk about that a little bit. Um, the pound test line needs to match up with the jig you're using, right? And let me get into that a little bit. Um, the whole point of tight lining, and let's even get into in the point of actually why you're tight lining. The biggest thing is you're watching your line underneath the water, and you need to have let's reel this up a little bit. You need to have a straight line from your hook to your rod tip. Now, in my opinion, that's the case in all situations. Even if you're using a bite indicator of a spring bobber, if you're trying to feel the bite, if you put anything like a swivel, uh, a split shot, you tie a leader on in the middle, I feel like that's going to affect what you see, one, for bite detection in tight lining, and also what you see in a bite detection of a spring bobber. But it also then it also affects the feel, too, because, again, you're using it at that point, too, when you're tight lining, you're also using all your senses, right, and trying to do the best you can feel the jig. The best you can do all that stuff so when you're tight lining what you're doing is you're, you're putting the line down to the water and you're, you can either and there's many ways there's different guys who, like michael thompson who used to be my old fishing partner he jigs aggressively i was watching your video you're jigging really aggressively balancing that line manipulating that line but the biggest thing what you want to do when you to do that is you want to make sure you're using a line that is barely straightening straightening out the line as it as it hangs as you can see, if you barely touch it, then it would float in the water. Because the biggest thing is, is you want to use monofilament line that floats. So then when a fish does pull your jig sideways, it, it puts an action into your line that you can see. Right? So if a fish touches it, pull it sideways, you can see anything that it's doing. So you, what you want to do is match up that line with the size of your jig. And the kind of the rule of thumb you, that I use is two-pound line for three-millimeter jigs, three-pound line or four-pound line for four-millimeter jigs. And up, I'm not a huge uh, big guy using five millimeter jigs. Um, one for tight lining, but if you're going to go that size, maybe go to the spring bobber. But if I'm going to go that size profile, I'm going to lead anyway. And then that's when four millimeter size jigs are, or four, uh, four pound test is just fine with that size of jigs anyway. So what you really want to do is match that line to the size of jig you have because you want this line to basically just, you want it to be floating, but the second pressure takes off that jig that it it curls up your line because then it'll cause it to float yeah part of the reason so, well part of the reasons i was jigging aggressively is um was just kind of getting used to like watching it watching my line because mm -hmm. i'm a i've been a spring bobber guy for a long 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 time 
and kind of uh, my reluctance to try tight lining is I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to see with my, with the tight lining that I'm not going to see with my spring bobber because I, you know, I mean, it must just be, it's that much more sensitive, you know, you, less, right. you know, cause I'm watching my spring bobber and I know how much weight is on, you know, how far down that spring goes when it's just dead relaxed. And if that, yep, yep. you know, any, any deviation of that if it relaxes a little bit and i didn't do anything that's obviously a fish or if it goes down slightly or you know anything that anything that happens in my cadence that is off i usually set the hook but the other reason was is i was just kind of watching that line like i was doing a little more aggressive to watch mm -hmm. that coil and get and know and start trying to like pick up on the cadence of how okay how long does it take for it to fully tighten out with the jig that i had on um right and it seemed like the fish that day you know needed to be interested like you had to really move it to get them to come up and sniff mm -hmm. it and then you could kind of slow down and and work the fish but so yeah there right. was there was a couple different uh, things well, going on in that in that video why i was i mean it, even my partner joel was like dude what are you pounding the bottom like your walleye fisherman over there i'm like no dude this, right, this, right, this, right. They, they won't come look at it otherwise <laughs> Well, if you watch Michael Thompson ever fish, that guy, he's always super aggressive. And it's yeah. always cool because as a partner, you know, being in sync with him too, and it's even with Tad as my partner now too, I know he's a real aggressive guy too, is I know if they're whacking fish harder than I am, okay, I'm start. I'll, I know to sure, start. Sure, yeah, too, yeah. I'm, I'm a real slow, sensitive guy, and I'm making – I more take my line, if you want to visualize what I'm looking for, and maybe get into too. So when, when, you're, when you're jigging the jig, you're actually watching your line as far as you can see it down the hole. So you're not watching your line above the water. You're watching your line mm -hmm. in the water as far as you can see down the hole. So you're looking as far as you can. And what you're doing is you're either you got to manipulate the line a little bit. You can hold it still and still watch for changes of it pulling sideways or slacking up, pulling sideways. Or or you can jig it and you make an emotion with your line. And the second that line does one thing different than you're doing, that the, now the other, here's the trick that, um, which I was going to get to your, in your video, what I wasn't seeing. The trick is when you're tight lining, what you got to do is you drop your rod tip. And it's going to do that, does a couple things. Um, when you drop your rod tip, it one, it'll curl more if the fish fully has it in his mouth. Two, it'll give it a hard, a harder point to actually have the fish spit it out because the, your line went slack and the fish is, is not there and it's not tight. So it doesn't have nothing to swing on to push out as it's in their mouth, you know, and hopefully maybe your hook sticks at that point. Um, but then two, so you drop your rod tip, see if he's there. And then three, if he does spit it out, you didn't rip it out of his mouth and his face. And you still have a chance to catch that big bluegill that you've been battling on for in that case. Because mm. in a lot of cases too, if you've seen it on camera, you see a big bluegill come up and he's looking at you, looking at you, looking at you, looking at you. All of a sudden he finally comes in and he finally pecks at it and he barely pulls it in and spits it back out. Mm -hmm. Well, if you drop your rod tip at that time, you hope he doesn't spit it out. But two, if you pull it out of his thing, well, you just lost that game on that big blue. Yeah, He'll back gone. up and just go on his way as he does. But if you just drop your jig, drop it down an inch after he spit it out and then you bring it right back up, well, then you're still in the game on that big bluegill. Sure. So that's that's kind of like one of the cool things about that. And that, that I've always pictured in my mind is you don't ruin it with that big bluegill if you don't set the hook, if you set the hook right away. You drop your rod tip, see there, and then set the hook on the fish. And one of my concerns I was having um... – this weekend, so the second day we went in, it was a super tight bite. Went walked into this uh, little lake in the woods, known to have big bluegills in it, and like we had, I think we caught two gills. Like it was super tough. We couldn't even get like the little dinky perch to bite really. Um, mm -hmm. But I know there's been times 
or they'll ba- they'll you know they kiss that bait like super light and I was starting to you know I was forcing myself to tight line even as much as I wanted to go grab a spring bobber rod because it was tough I wanted to go to what I was confident in right so when you have that tight line and you're watching your line like how do you detect anything other than upbite like other than oh, feel you see it you see the line pull sideways you, you do. see everything okay. pull sideways and again that's where I think matching that line to your jig is such a huge thing because what happens is anytime it pulls up or pulls sideways, it's it's going to put that slack and that line's going to float. And it's all about using that mono and the floating line. So that's the other reason why even in bite detection outside, even tight lining, I don't like to use anything that's a full polymer or a, a or a, um, a mono or a fluorocarbon is they're they're weighted lines and that actually causes things to delay in the bite detection in sure. my opinion right so if you see something pull sideways you're going to see everything that about that line pulling that jig because once the weight's pulling off that jig that line's going to go slack okay i think that's where so i'm going to need to really practice does on grab it it pulls that weight off of it is look for that side strike then um yeah because they were so light i mean I, I just in my mind i'm like i feel like you know, when I was playing with those perch, I knew they were little tiny perch, but I was like, well, this is a good opportunity to detect really light bites when these little mm-hmm. three-inch perch come up. And I was just using that as an opportunity. Like, okay, if I can get these things, if I can detect the, these things biting, I can detect the bluegill kissing it, you know? So I sure, wasn't sure. moving on to a different hole, like, well, there's nothing here. I'm like, well, no, I'm going to take advantage of this, these little perch and see what I can learn on these stupid little annoying things. Right. Uh, but I just felt like... And I guess I wasn't watching for any side to side, but I was watching for anything, and my line just seemed to be dead still. And I thought, well, usually when those perch come up and they grab a leg on your plastic, you they still, you know, you know, usually still I should have seen something, and maybe they weren't biting it, but like I wasn't detecting anything. And I'm, in my mind, then doubt starts to creep in, and I'm like, all right, well, would I be detecting something with the spring bobber? You know, my mind just goes back to that because I'm I'm so versed in it, I'm so comfortable with it, yeah. and confident with it that. That's the hard part when you're learning a new technique, right? It's just like forcing right. yourself, stick with it, like learn everything you can. That's what I was attempting to do, but I'll have to just look more for subtle side-to-side changes, I guess. Well, let me let me even say this, too. I'm always my, my uh, what do you want to say, my little proclaimer of, you know, tight lining is one of the things that I kind of got into as I started tournament fishing. First time I fished a tournament was the NIFC tournament and. 2008 i think it was on osakis and you, know, you start seeing these guys one we'll, we'll which we'll get into the rod types here too schoolie schoolie rods and stuff in the reel but you see that but then two watching dave young and mike bodeck are tight line and then they're off they're willing to teach you guys how to do this stuff all the time so they literally will they want to tell you you know just like right. everything else and so it's like oh cool i want to learn this well the biggest thing that i learned about tournament fishing back when i first did it was this first time we were running around with traps right and you watch that and then I remember the second tournament I ever fished was actually the NIFC championship. Then that next, that next year, right away, that December in 2009 in Wisconsin. And it was a walking only tournament and it was the hardest tournament I've ever seen. And here I am, I even put a Ram mount on my uh, fish trap scout. I thought, okay, I'm going to be nice and speedy because I got my Vexlar already there pulling that around. Well then I remember it was like halfway through day one. I think me and my dad had three fish, right? We're just like, man, this fish was my old man. We can't catch fish. It's a walking tournament only. We, we don't know what else to do. We drilled how many holes. We just don't know what we're doing. But then you're really watching these guys who season do that. And I'm, I remember watching Joe, Myron Gilbert and Joe Potowski 
and they're drilling this hole and they're drilling this basin with the, their attack buckets and they're just drilling, they'll drill 30 holes and they run back around and they grab their attack buckets going all the way through and they're checking each hole. And, you know, and the biggest thing I realized was one, having a fish house is slows you down so much. It's crazy. So we got rid of the fish house and then two, so that means you're fishing outside the whole time. And two, being uh, the most mobile as you can and the fastest up and down as you can is a really big deal. Um, so to me, in my mind, as I was playing, okay, what's the best way now? So now you're getting into the tournament thing. Okay. Now your fishing always changes 360 degrees. You go from one way you think is the best way. All of a sudden you're, you're getting learning top tips <laughs> right. and you're trying new things like tight lining and things like that. And the biggest thing to me was, is, well, let me say this, me fishing personally, if I'm in my ice castle or if I am back in a, any type of fish house, I think the best way to detect a bite is still through feel. And actually, you know, awesome Thorn Brothers, graphite rod, feel the bite, you know, pound it, do what you're doing because you got full control of your jig, you got feel, and you can do that. But that's only when you, one, can't wear a glove, you can handle being inside, you got you got no water icing up, you're not doing all this kind of stuff. There's no elements playing in the game. And then, two, I still think, you know, in my in my ice castle today, we still use spring bobbers and all that stuff at night because you can't see down the hole in the night, right, you know, and yeah. all that kind of stuff, too. So I have, and all those occasions, I like that. But so now my evolution of becoming a tournament angler i was like you know what's the best way to fish and i was like you know this tight lining thing is the way to go because one i can wear a glove on my rod hand and when i don't i still like to not wear a glove and feel that mm-hmm. because it's still feeling it's still part of your senses that you want to use but there's days when it's 20 below i can still wear a glove and i can still tight line and i can watch my line underneath the water which now the the wind's not detect not affecting your your bite it's not doing anything because you're watching your line underneath the water. And the only thing that's going between is the line you're watching and straight down to your jig. And I found out, you know, being outside, being mobile, the best way to fish has just been through tight lining. And that's why I was like, all right, now I'm forcing my way to do this. And that's why I learned and, and how I got into it myself. You know, I did notice that uh, Sunday was quite windy and um, yeah, it's, you know, using spring bobbers in the past, or even if you have a, just a really light tip rod, and you're jigging and you're feeling and that, you know, you get a windy day and you're using light line, it's blowing, it's, it really makes bite detection pretty difficult. But when you are watching that line under the water, it's like, wow, like this isn't affecting my bite detection at all. That part was pretty cool. I was yeah. like, all right, this is, this is pretty cool. I'm just going to have to yep. get better at the, when it's, because sometimes, um, and this is what Joel is finding with these, with the sunfish that we're, that didn't want to bite he's like you got to dead stick the hell out of them you know if you get in a sniffer it's like try to hold that thing as still as you can and so that one I was like okay well how if I don't have slack in my line or I'm like not moving it how do I tell if he's kissing right. it you know so you're looking for that side to side I'm gonna have to do a little better at that well it's even side to side it, it, it'll it'll still float right so it'll still float at that point a little bit if they come up with it so yeah, even if they pull it sideways, you're going to see that twitch, or you're going to see something other go, go to the other side, and I don't know if that's me. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's just something that, you know, because I'm actually a really slow fisherman. I don't pound it or do anything else as it is, and it just seems to be pretty weird at that point, you know, so I'm pretty slow at that point. Yeah, I don't know why we're getting that staticky on there. I don't know. Yeah, so I guess we got a little, well, not off topic, but we got a little... Uh, sidetracked on bite detection so we're going with we started with the line i guess and that makes sense um do you so you probably wouldn't go any less than two pound test then 
Like, would you go to a one? Because then, then no, you have to go not so tiny case, no. on the jig to get that barely straight line. So that's good to know because right. I I have, like, on some of my spring barber rods where I'm using fluorocarbon, I'll have one pound test on, you know, from my smaller smaller baits and super finesse. So that's good. Mm-hmm. So don't bother buying any one-pound line in the, in the frost. Yeah. Uh, stick to two and four. I think I got some. Th- I think I have two and three. I think is what I have on my rod. The reels right now. Um, but I think I'm gonna. Right. I, I think I'm gonna, gonna go want a four for some of the slightly heavier baits I have. All right. Cool. Awesome. All right. Where were we? After <laughs> <laughs> that terrible audio. Well, we're still, I think we're still talking bite detection a little bit, and, yes. and sideways bite was the question a little bit. Yeah, you were that. just starting to get into the the side bite, right? Uh, kind of thing. I didn't so. get into it. Just the side bite is. I think it's it allows the curl up the line, or you watch it twitch, you know, sideways. So you're kind of watching that, especially when you're going slow and you're really battling the fish. You know what I mean? A little bit, and you can, you're not really being a real aggressive. Yeah, you're just watching for anything to happen with that line at all. Then you get to assume it's a bite. And again, if you drop your rod tip, then you don't screw up that battle with that fish. You just drop sure. it slightly, see what happens. Go right back to where you were. Keep going. Keep going with that fish a little bit. Try to get him to pull up. Maybe you do. You know, just trying to get back what it is. And as long as you're not pulling it out of the way, not jerking I mean, it out of his face, out of the strike zone. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's line and jig weight. Uh, so next would be what rod selection? Yeah. So. Again, the thing about uh, tight lining, right, is you can do that with any rod you want. So if you really want to utilize the rod that you want to use for, you know, if you want to add feel still, still want to use a graphite rod, that's fine. Um, What I was commenting on your video was is the other thing is what I was saying, too, is the the use of schoolie rods. And the evolution of me using it in tournaments was just watching all these guys use it because you wonder why in the heck are these guys using these cheap reels? So then you start picking their brain a little bit, a little bit about it, and and through my evolution of tournament fishing, because I, I I did the same thing. I first thing I did is I took one of these reels, and I stuck it on a graphite rod, and and when I did that, I was working for my field, doing that kind of touch, and and actually what I was trying to tell you a little bit too is it's not really about the tight lining, but it's about when you actually catch a fish. And any this was with any rod and reel that I found out because when I first started utilizing, again this I threw this on a Thorn Brothers Sweet Thing rod, and I was using that. Well, that first year, I remember the championship. It was the second year championship I ever did, and we were on Thompson, and I dumped two big, two big, big crappies out of the base, and I was like, why in the heck did I lose those fish? I just couldn't believe it that I lost those fish. Well, what I was finding was is every time for the one-on-one rod and and a reel, this goes for any spooler reel, any of those, ty- you know, any th- type of reel that has the one-for-one turn as you turn it, is if you're using a graphite rod, every time you reel that rod, you'll notice the rod does this and slacks up mm-hmm. and slacks your line. Well, every time you do that one reel, it pops up, pops up, pops up. And I was like, what in the heck is going on? Well, first thing I did was went right to Dave Young's. So I was having a conversation with him. And I was like, Dave, I was like, Every time I use these schoolie reels, I keep losing big fish. Why? Why? Why is that the case? He's like, well, now Lawrence, you know why I'm using the HT ice blue rods, fiberglass rod or fiberglass rods is because they're fiberglass and they stay bent while you're reeling in the fish. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that makes sense. So it keeps the pressure on there with the one for one. Yeah, and on that, um, and it, they were glass rods that I have. Uh, I think they might mm-hmm. be just a little too heavy for what I was 
doing so in those smaller like 10 inch crappies i was you know i'm reeling way above my head i'm like is he even still on and then i'd feel a little tug i'm like oh okay he's still on i'd keep reeling and so i think it's just a little bit lighter action would would help and then yeah just that weight of that fish would keep you know because it ain't just about losing big fish i mean it could be about losing little fish because maple last year or no two years ago we fished maple in minnesota made Mm mm-hmm and uh you know seven inches the minimum and you'd be hard pressed to find many bluegills in there that were over seven inches so like you were just trying to get legal fish in your bucket to get a full bag been there. so yeah, been there. you know having that having a lighter option it, i think is going to be important because you know tournament day it might not be about you know catching a 10 not dumping a 10 inch bluegill but like not dumping a seven inch bluegill because you're just over right you're overpowered for that fish What's funny is I think it was my second year or third year in the UPL. And I was actually my first, might've been the first year fishing with Michael Thompson. And it was at Spring Lake in, in, uh, in uh, Shakopee there over by Prior Lake. Mm-hmm. We were fishing that lake over there. And we we're at my dad's house. He lived in Bloomington at the time. And he had these My First Fray Bills, these little things right here too. I was like, you know, I'm going to win that tournament with going to these rods. And I did the same thing. I cut the... <laughs> A little noodle tip off of it so it's nice and stiff and the reason why too is we want a stiff rod when you're tight lining is so when you're jigging and you're moving the manipulations of your line you're actually feel you're actually jigging the jig the right way right so that's why you want a stiffer rod instead of a noodle rod is so you're doing that and that's why like the hd blues dave young cuts the orange tip off and then puts a number three fly rod reel on there and then same thing i did here too is cut that tip off of here and we use that but with this dang rod I think later that year after we won that one, I was like, yeah, I'm going to keep using this. I used it for the rest of the year and we are fishing a tournament on Mille Lacs and we were pre-fishing. And it was actually that one of the first years the Team Extreme events were going on. They had a tournament on Mille Lacs in April. It went out there. It was like the first week of April. And we went in there and we could only get into Garrison Reef and we couldn't get past this breaker out there. So I was fishing Garrison Reef and found a hole there. I'm like, wow, look at all those fish down there. And we're, it was a perch tournament. But I sent it down there and all of a sudden, bam catch a about a three pound smallie and catching i ended up catching 30 40 rod or 30 40 fish on this little my first fray bill tiny oh my goodness little rod and schoolie reel and i probably caught three four pounders oh my god you know, that would pounders. be a hell of a i want to say mt <laughs> i call them teal where you got to get over near fun man because we probably caught 30 to 60 of those fish crazy doubles on the whole time we're both catching them with schoolie reels you know so everyone asks you well how do you fight Fish, fish with that i'm like i tell you what i've caught a four i mean they weren't the massive right uh, schoolie dude, or, uh, dude small, a three pound smallmouth bass on a schoolie reel that's a <laughs> that's a fight <laughs> that's a fight for sure yeah so that's uh you know one of those things too so and then the thing about the schoolie reel when one of the cool things about using one of these and what i found out and again too what, what you're finding out with the schoolie reel rods and like even myron gilbert and everyone else and a lot of guys still use these as strike indicators and everything else so the reel is more about actually jig control and what you're doing with your hands now when you think about it too is when you even when you're jigging right you're jigging like if you jig like this you're jigging your jig that far you know Mm -hmm. an inch two inches above the fish's nose and you're up and down well say if you're slowly in your battle with a bluegill and you slowly want to move that jig away from their head all you got to do is move that thumb on the schoolie reel just slowly turn that thumb and you can slowly as you want, pull that jig away from his face and you can have that jig control. And then you can even put it back down a little bit, you know what I mean? Going the other way and back and forth. So that's, 
you know, the whole point of that is having that school and having your thumb on there for that, uh, for that jig control. And that's kind of really why I think a lot of the guys really like using that is it's all about jig control more than it is. Anything. I was getting kind of freaked out too. Just the tension, you know, when you're going to strip line out and drop down, like I kept thinking I was going to break, break the line. Cause that schoolie reel isn't super loose. You know, I know it's got that little yeah. kind of set. You can only get it so loose though, before that nut falls off. I learned that the hard yeah, way. Yeah. I keep it pretty, I keep it pretty close. <laughs> I don't know. There's times I forget it and there's times where it's frozen and I, bust the line here too yeah. and there but yeah so it does happen well it does this goes with the, i mean i was kind of back reeling it but that takes a long time <laughs> to get it to go right, down right uh but yeah i mean the biggest thing about tight lining too again it's that's not that part is really not the rod and i think the schoolie is just what i've learned to like i, I even use it on my all my bobber rods and all that kind of stuff too it's just the the fact of the jig control and down and you know how slow you can manipulate your jig and, and paying attention to that kind of things right because that's the whole thing about what I think I evolved as a tight liner is utilizing all my senses into the second I drop that jig down the hole. Cause one, you're stripping it down nice and slow in the first place, which I think helps mm -hmm. out a lot from just put adding your bait down into the, where the fish location is. But the second you're fishing there, you're actually actually fishing that jig from down on. And then it's just your focus on it. So now you're focusing, dropping that jig down to the fish. You're watching your Vexilar while you do that. And then you got in there and you got full, concentration on your vexlar watching that watching what you're doing with the jig and you're just fully paying attention it just gives you that little more sense of what's going on down there in a little bit and what you're actually doing with that jig it just to me it just brings you more into the game a little more and causes you to focus a lot more is why i think i really like doing it more than any other type of fishing rod length um how important is or what's your preference um and does me, that, does that like change with action or or weight of the rod too I, I think what it is too is the using the fiberglass rods having the 20 inch I, 20 inches is how I designed these tuned up runs that we we had them made us those are 20 20 inches to there and the reason why we did that is because we're fishing on those attack buckets so we're actually when I fished that was one of the reasons why I like, I like fishing on an attack bucket a lot of times too is because up over the hole a lot more so I could keep that this rod tip I can put my arm out as close as I want I'd always be down in the hole and that rod tips actually really close to me. And then I can see down in the hole farther was always the key. So that was just why I've always liked the 20 inch, the 20 inch rods for that. But then it's also about the jig control too, a little bit. The closer you are to the jig, the more control you got out of it. So makes sense. Yeah. And you stick with like, so it's not necessarily just like a super finesse thing. Like, do you just, you're going on tournament day. That's the first rod you grab. I mean, you pretty much strict schoolie nice. guy now or do you still have a couple open face reels there's the the game of pan optics has changed live scope has changed me to throw a spinning reel back into the bag just to the main reason why is to when you're trying to attack these schoolie these basin fish that are roaming and you're trying to get down there as fast as you can um, and pick them off. And so that's kind of changed that. And again, at that point, I'm not worried. I'm not really worried about bite detection at that point. Cause most times if you do get those fish, they're going to smack your yeah. spoon or bigger jig that you're using anyway. So I'm kind of adding that into the repertoire back again here. Now that live scopes in the play. And the real, and the real like, uh, benefits of tight lining. Do you think that it benefits more when you're targeting bluegills versus crappies? I feel like you're getting those super light bites for bluegills 
much more so than a crappie. Even like a light bite on a crappie, there is going to be an up bite or a thump. You know, they, they rarely ever just suck it in. Like they hit it or they don't, it seems, <laughs> you know. I, th- I think I think really what, in my opinion, what separates it is is in a tough bite and pressured fish. So as you know, and I know too, in these tournament styles, and even like you talk – Minnesota made UPL. You're still talking. You got 30 teams now. That's 60 mm-hmm. guys, and some of their buddies maybe you know hammer on a lake for a week, right? And they're going to find all the good spots. They're going to find everything out there, and these fish are going to be pressured, you know. And, and there's a lot of times where sometimes there's only is one good spot in the lake, and you're going to see all 60 teams sitting in that one spot. And you know, and there's there's mind games and how you're playing in there too, but. To me, right there, that's where the finesse is still always a play because you're going to be battling against other people moving there, and these bigger fish are going to be a little more tight-lipped. And you know, getting to go on a bite and bite quick is something you got to figure out in pre-fishing. But it helps when you, yeah, when you do got a bigger battle on a bluegill, and then even see it on lakes like Osakis with the amount of pressure they had in those bays. Even back when they had the team extremes there, we'd still fish in the main Manthes Bay over by head of the lakes with everyone else of all that pressure there. Knowing the bigger fish are there, you don't have to leave, but you just had to finesse those fish, you know, sure. and get those fish, bigger fish to bite, and they kept you in the game too a little bit. So it's just managing the lake and the pressure, I think, is one of the things why you'd want to go finesse for sure. Then the, the mental strategy, the the uh, intimidation factor, as Leif brought up when uh, Giz will be out there and you just hear, you're like, oh, dang, he oh, caught yeah. another fish. So, you know, there's something to be said about that, letting everybody else know you're on them. <laughs> I think I was watching somebody's video from the Minnesota made the other day. I was, it was an older one, and I was laughing. He actually oiled it. I'm like, oh, what did you oil it for? <laughs> you know, I thought it would irritate me, but it actually doesn't irritate me. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm catching a fish. <laughs> but really, you're not yeah, exactly. you're, you're not really concentrating. At that moment, you're fighting the fish, and you're you know making sure you don't dump it. But uh, right. I just thought it was funny. No, it's definitely, it's definitely something that's always been – it's it's funny. But now the problem is, too, is – I don't say it's a problem, but you see, especially at the NIFC level, I want to say more than half the guys now are all using schoolies. Hmm. You know, and you're seeing it probably more and more in the Minnesota Made now, too. You saw it in the UPL that came more and more through. And There's really not a ton yet in know, Minnesota Made. Just, it'll, it'll probably change, you know, as the it seems every year the whole field is getting better and it's getting tougher and tougher. Oh, which, yeah. Which is great. It's what we all want, you know, to see the, the league just become as good as it can be. I definitely think you're going to start seeing more and more, which is why it's like, okay, you know, Joel and I did good last year, but it was only good enough for second, you know, and, and Leif and Nick just <laughs> ran away with it. And it's like, I'm not going to take it sitting down, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can. And there's no guarantees. I mean, we come in 16th next year. Who knows? No. We just shit the bed all four tournaments, but right. I'm going to do everything in my power, have tricks and, you know, in my bag to, to eliminate that, um, are there so to kind of just wrap up on the schoolie thing? You know, you get these order these mm-hmm. schoolie rods, and it's pretty much only one place to get them, as far as I know. I mean, you can in buy Minnesota, them off, yeah, buy that's them running eBay. in Monticello. Oh, they sell them right yeah. in right oh, in the yeah, store. They got a whole pile of them there. Oh, okay. I ordered mine from some dude in Michigan. When I when I googled okay. it, he's yep. the only one that really came up. I mean, you can find some on yeah, eBay and stuff, but they sell them there. Your bobbers down, I think, sells them. I think that's maybe why Fish I went USA through. might sell them. Um, yeah, your bobber's down for sure sells them, and then but yeah, they got them. Brandon Grover when they opened the runnings in Monticello, there Brandon Grover 
um, a, a walleye tournament buddy of mine. Um, he he was the manager there, so he made sure he got a bunch of schoolies. Got a bunch. Know Smart. The only place to have them. <laughs> and they sell they sell, they clear them out by the end of the year normally. Smart. But they got a big pile of them there now. So that's great. That's awesome. Yep. And so as far as somebody somebody wants to get into it, so they go get themselves a schoolie reel, and are you recommending you find those like those blue ice rods and modifying yeah. them? Or they can have Definitely. a custom rod maker make them. Because there is there any rod off the shelf that you can without having to yeah. mess with anything? Um, like you cut the orange tip off and have to add a tip. Is there anything out there that somebody can just go? Okay, if I slap it on this rod, I'm good to go. You know, I don't know if there is a hundred percent of one. Now, again, too, with the schooly side of things, I would say. Ah oh, man, I want to. There was one. What is this? I think I have it here. That's why I sat in the garage here. This rod here is a Celsius Chill Factor Light Action. I don't know if you can see it there or not, but mm -hmm. and I might have got it at Fleet Farm. It's this brown little rod with a yellow tip on it. Okay, but it comes with all cheap metal guides and all that stuff on it. But yeah, you can put a schoolie on it and. It's got it's all fiberglass oh, yeah. and bendy. Super bendy. This one right here, I mean, I'm sure this rod is like probably eight bucks or something like that. If that, and I bought and I it. See you really... don't, I see you don't have a close eyelet towards the handle. Um, show you. The, the only reason why is I gave those rods away. <laughs> <laughs> um. So when I first made the ice blue ones, those ones, then actually uh, Chuck Mason out of Michigan. He has his own little blog and he's had like more, probably the oldest ice fishing blog that I've ever seen out there. And he actually wrote the book on how to manipulate your schoolie reel. And then I don't know if he got into the ice blue rods, but he got into editing your rods, but he also got into adding that number 16 guide um, that's over the top of this. And I think it's just because I gave all mine away. And if you do and that at the end of the day, I'm oh, sorry, if you do, and if you have that big, uh, eyelet right out of the gate. Are you then modifying the reel? Like one of mine, I cut that little plastic line guide off, and the other one I didn't. And I'm I don't know which yep. one I like better. Yeah, no, it's it's so you really got to pay attention once you get that in there. Is making sure that line is getting straight on the reel because you'll see it bunch up on the one side. When I had tuned up, this is actually their first rod they ever made me, and you can see how I try to bend this recoil guide even mm -hmm. to get it to try to line up the line but you can see all of this line doesn't want to line up straight over okay the, i see over there so that's the biggest thing is getting that over that spot there so maybe keeping that little plastic eye on there is good way so to that's go. on on these tuned up rods that i had made and i've always liked and fishing with mt mt actually uses just the 18 that's that's a rod right there if you let me see here Oh, I don't have it there. I have it right here. I think this is it. Yeah, right here. If you want one off the shelf, you can get the 18-inch ice blue rod, which is not so uh, springy at the end here of the orange. Okay. And MT will use these ones. So you can buy the 18-inch. Now, I don't know where they would have these. Actually, Walmart has normally has like the HD blues, most of anything. That one you can actually buy and still be okay with and get away with it. Just because right. this tip is Stock still... right off the shelf. Yeah, stock off the shelf. And again, this is eight bucks, nine bucks. And then you add the three dollar reel. So you're twelve dollars in and then you go out and luckily now you can find the frost on the shelves at Shields. Yep. 
I think I saw three pound at uh, Runnings. Thorn Brothers um, has them. Yep, but if you want to be mono in yellow, you have to order online. And then you got a Sesso Diamond, which actually has an awesome color. And I, is try. The I bought choice a of I ordered a spool Rodriguez. of this stuff. It's actually like a saltwater brand. I don't remember what it's called. I'm like, I have a ridiculous amount. I like 2,600 yards of it. Um, sure. It was chill. It cost me 20 bucks. I was like, well, if I don't like it, it's 20 bucks, right? I'm out. And it's yellow on the spool. It's yellow, but like when you take a strand off, it's not so yellow. So I don't know how well it's going to yeah. be. I might spool one up just to, just to see. Um, if anything, play with knot strength and abrasion mm-hmm. resistant I'll just see if it's worth having or not but that's why i was excited about the the, the one thing i i mean i've kind of been forced i'm a new line junkie too where a lot of these guys are using the old strand and keeping their old strand on there it drives me insane i have to put new line in on before a tournament and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff too and the knock on the 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 strand two pound three pound or four pound is okay you can see it, it changes its color a little bit but the two pound just wasn't that it doesn't, doesn't have that sharpness that you see that I think this two pound frost is going to have. So that's why that I saw this, really I pulled that off and I'm like, it really glows pretty yeah, good. Yeah, it like, does. It really does. Now, how does it float and float the jig? I haven't had, I haven't been on the ice yet this year. So okay. hopefully this weekend I will be. And well, that might be we'll another be experiment I need to look at is, so. and see if that, you know, even if the other line might not be as visible, maybe it floats better. I don't know. I'll have to. Yeah, well, again, that's it's just stuff you got to play with and go through. The strand has always been okay. Um, I know Dave Young and I, when I want to say five, six years ago now, six, seven years ago, maybe now, Berkeley reached out to us and they wanted to, what we thought was they're going to put the micro ice in yellow. And we we're like, oh, sweet. So they sent us all this test line to do test out and work. And I thought, oh, all right, now they're going to come out with my favorite monofilament line in yellow. And then they never did. They put oh, in cold no. weather, and I'm like, "Oh, you got to be kidding me!" And you still see the cold weather yellow now on the shelves. And I just don't like cold weather; it's too stretchy of a line, and okay, all the above. And it's just like, "Oh man!" So it would be awesome if it was in microwave, if you ask me. But it is what it is. Oh, I'm just gonna have to hit the ice more and and test stuff out. Uh, so we get somebody goes and gets a rod. They get the reel. They get that set up. They get some line. Um, and what kind of jigs? Like we already we touched on it, but like you know, having the right weight uh, for line. How often are you using lead versus tungsten? You know, tungsten um, is like the the new craze, but and I have a shit ton of tungsten jigs too. When when I'm on a lake, like I'll use this, I will say this is a lake I grew up on fishing it and. I always think that's how I became a, an okay uh, pan fisherman was fishing that lake and actually trying to get the bigger bluegills to bite. Even as a kid watching the, we would sit there on the side of the bank at the head of lakes resorts and you're watching these old timers with fly rods, you know, catching these monster bluegills and we're getting, you know, average size bluegills. And it's like, my dad's like, you gotta get a fly rod. My dad's always a huge light line guy all the time. And, and so one of the things that I found out there is sometimes they do want a bigger profile and they also want a wax worm on that dang lake. I don't, it's the one lake that I have to have a wax worm on. It's just one of those things, especially if I get denied from a white plastic right away from those guys, instant wax worms coming out, sending it down. And that's where I'll find, try to find, even like you had the old Gens, um, fat boys, the red glow, you know, to, to that lead, you know, if you go with a bigger size lead just to get bigger mm-hmm. profile size, then I'm always using lead. Otherwise I would say still 90% of my time 
I have a hard time getting away from a red glow. Um, this is a Larson's jig, just a red glow. Um, just a red glow number three, you know, just a standard yeah. number three, anything red glow. And then red glow gold are really the only two colors I ever use. And then to me, because to me, more color comes in effect when you're using your plastics in color. Right. Um, yeah, I don't so get it's just crazy using three it. millimeters is always just kind of where I always go to. I always start off the small and go up if needed. I'm the same way. the opposite way. So yeah, I start off way. small, go. Plus, I also, in a tournament situation, I know Tad's going big. Tad's always four, the four <laughs> millimeter. So, if he, you know, if he's over there, he's whacking the bigger crop. He's like, oh, it's all right, time to up. try to grab the other rod. Right. And start yeah, and that's that's the it, second. Get the bigger action, too. So That's the second guessing game, right? I mean, I, I, do, I have a tendency to start – like start finesse, and I think that's why Joel is a good partner too, because he'll he'll go a little more aggressive. And just like I said, if one person's you know doing better, it's like okay, I need to upgrade. Yeah. Um, I guess as far as like I'm thinking lead, I want to get some real small lead actually for when you start getting in situations where the fish are super shallow, you know, like five feet sure. or less. It's like, well, what do I need tungsten at that point? You know. Mm-hmm. You, there is no drop. It's it's an arm length down. Like you're not even reeling at that point. So you can, and maybe the slower drop. And I don't know. I, that's something I need to experiment with this year and, and see. Man, there there was a time where I actually found the same tear drop or marmuska size that you'd say that you see the standard tungsten jig nowadays, right? Everyone has the same mm-hmm. one made from China nowadays. Um. But uh, I think, and I think it was Duff Petticore at the ice show sold it to me. And it was a huge bag of them, of all lead jigs that size that were all number four sizes. And I had those forever. And those were always just kind of my sweet little go-to because I knew it was the exact <laughs> same thing as a four mil. And I knew I could change that out, throw a worm on there. And I knew those fish Profile, could suck yeah. it in easier. And it was just like, oh, okay, nice. And I had those forever. And I've never been able to find a lead style version of that ever since. And I haven't really looked that hard just because... I've kind of struck my game down to three mil all the time, almost anyways. So, and that's what I was thinking about too. Is again those those really subtle bites. You know how much easier is it for those gills to suck in a lead versus tungsten? Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I'm just trying to cover all the bases and make sure I'm not leaving anything on the table for myself. As far as like, am I am I using tungsten too much? Should I be right? You know what I mean? Like just trying to be cognizant of that and not getting stuck in a rut you know if i well and there's spots too i mean i've even seen it's like you even see it on osakis now too with all the pressure it's gotten after that crappie boom that it had because it's never had a crappie boom like that which i think because that was controversy is i think a lot of those actually died off they don't get fished out there's so many of those years i think they finally died out is what they are and there's a few left and i've made it to the other year classes after that but there was a point where the last few years i'd get up there and my dad has his fish house out there, and I'm jumping there. I'm like, Dad, what's going on with these fish? They ain't biting. He's like, you got to put a white plastic on, set your rod on a bucket, and you don't touch your rod. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and, and so you're dead sticking a, a, a three-mil jig with the smallest white plastic at, at midnight. You know, midnight, one in the morning, we're doing this. And these fish will come in. They'll come in and look at it, look at it. Look, and you're thinking it's a big boogie or something. But, no, it's just these crappies. They just want it dead still because you touched it. They had so much pressure in that sure. area. Yeah, uh, people jigging they're, that. They're, they're afraid. To, it, oh yeah, they're, they're afraid it. to try to eat anything. <laughs> yeah. So that that finesse small little white plastic dead sticking it, and you just wait for the rod tip to go a little bit, and you're like, oh, grab it off the bucket, and there you go. 
And it's just kind of, yeah, just like, again, that's always, it's always pressure, you know, that gets into that. Um, and I've been talking about this too, is I'm going to add, I'm going to try to put live bait back in my, <laughs> my repertoire. Cause I, I am like, I use plastics. I mean, I have, I have tons of confidence in plastics and, uh, you know, they just, for, for all the obvious reasons, right. It stays on your hook longer. Uh, I mean, that's pretty much it. It stays, I'm not having to bait all the time. You know, it's, it's more time in the strike zone and I mean, more times than not, I can get these fish to, to eat a plastic. So why bother with bait except for last year getting beat <laughs> and they're using bait at least at times. Yeah. It's like, okay, then sometimes I need to be, I need to at least have it in my pocket. And maybe when I'm struggling with plastics, if it's a tough bite, now's the time to throw some meat on there and see if that makes a difference. Sure. I did do that a couple times last year where it was, I was faced a tough bite. It wasn't going. And I, you know, put a couple of euros on there and I didn't know as much of a difference. It was still a tough bite. The same like jig cadence, everything with, you know, whatever I was finally figuring out to get those fish to bite. Once I kind of, it was more of a cadence thing than it was what was on my jig because then sure. I kind of, you know, the bait fell off or whatever, and I just went to a plastic and did the same thing, and I was getting bit equal amounts. So I'm sure that at some point in time it's going to come into play where I need to, <laughs> I need to, that, that, like you said, Osakis, waxworm, you know, whatever. The, those those scenarios are going to play out, and I just need to make sure I have it there for when I need it. I was I forget what year it was, but it was one of the years, might have been like the second or third year I was fishing with MT, and I think we did like nine tournaments that year. Cool. It was the first tournament of the year that uh, I threaded on a white maggot onto a threaded it onto a three mil on a on a red glow, and it was the difference between getting an eight inch sunfish and nine and a half hmm. all the time, and it was just like it was just huge, and we we're catching them to the point that the team fishing next to us never caught their limit of bluegills and we're throwing back nine inch bluegills right in front of their face. Oh my God. Well, we're, we're catching them as fast <laughs> as we can. And all it was is because we threaded on this white maggot onto the thing. And I think we went through that whole nine tournaments that next year. I, th I don't think I took that jig and maggots. I went, I think that was my go-to bait the whole time hmm. game day nonstop because it just worked right now. It's funny because I think the next year go back into it. I bought a bunch of bunch more three three mil red glows, and I don't think I ever put a maggot on that next year. Wow! It was just for some reason it was just like a year just thing. How it, didn't it matter. was, yeah. All over the it was going from North Dakota to Wisconsin. To I was just rocking that every tournament I noticed, and I'm like, this is just weird. Well, but crazy, I'm, but you know, and it could have been. But it is what it is. And on some of those lakes, maybe plastics would have worked, but you had the confidence in it. You started with it, and as long as you're catching fish, why change, right? I mean, you're not yeah. going to change well, if you're catching fish. I want to say uh, I'm not that stubborn to where I was still using everything else pre-fishing. It just that's where I went back. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'd still say, yeah, I still, I have a process in my head of who, what, where, how I want to get to each jig and see what's happening, and just kind of go through have staples to where i'm just using white and pink plastics normally and i don't think i ever have to change that especially when it's crappies right away but then if it's if those are getting denied it's straight to the maggots that brings Except up for you just gave, me, where it is. just gave me a really good idea probably something i'm not doing that i need to do when i'm pre-fishing you know a lot of times we just spot check or size check you know we're mm -hmm. doing a lot of camera work and you're finding schools of fish and you're like well some of them are kind of hard to tell size so you'll fish it just a little bit catch a few of them Mm -hmm. uh but maybe i need to fish more 
and purposely try different a larger lure than maybe I would normally use to see if there's a a preference on that lake. Can't right, hurt. Right, right, right. Well, yeah, the larger ones I just always know my partners are using larger. Well, MT use the bigger fat boy all the time. But that bit us that bit us in the ass first event last year in Chisago. I mean, we could not tournament day. We couldn't get these big hybrids to bite and yeah. we had a team right next to us and they're plucking them out all the time and it was after the fact you know our tournament's over and you talk to people and it's like they were using bigger baits um that's they just wanted more aggressive stuff and my experience on that on that bite when you do find the mother load greens it's because they're in those two holes but you literally one tournament the the lost bucket that we had MT had found it right before end of fishing time, pre-fishing. He found this spot, and it literally was two holes. Wow. And it was it was so bad to where everyone was like, they see us sitting there for three hours, and we're just whack. We probably whacked 100 green sunfish plus sitting wow. in those two holes, just boom, boom, boom for the last three hours of the tournament. And we're just going through because eventually we are getting to nine and a half, and I think we had all four or all eight of our uh, hybrids over nine and a half. Maybe one, a couple of red at 10, and it was just these monster Jeez. ones that we had. And, but, uh, like, a bunch of teams would come in and start drilling around us, and the bite would stop. And then they would leave, and all of a sudden they start going again. Hmm. And then, finally, Chad Schaub came over there, and he came over the last hour of the tournament. And I remember he, he sat there watching us. He's like, well, he goes, here's the thing. He goes, Lawrence, I go, I know you're going to have to weigh your fish. I'm getting in your hole when you weigh your fish. And I'm like, all right, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so of course i had to weigh the fish and i remember dumping out the fish and he's looking at it he's like oh you guys got this thing won easily and this is when you know we lost it because i was thinking oh we need one more crappie and we ended up leaving those two holes after all those people attacking us and to go find one more crappie which we actually caught but right after we caught that we noticed that everyone was gone that's when we had to run back and we lost the bucket because of that but the thing was Chad Schaub ended up getting second or third place because he upgraded every single one of his got all green sunfish out of those two holes after oh, we wow. ended up leaving, and it was just those exact two holes. That's crazy. And and that just, maybe that's what was that close. And I might have been it too. You know, maybe that could very well have been because they didn't move very much. I mean, they they moved a little, but they didn't move very much. They stayed to a pretty small area, and meanwhile, Joel and I are just jumping all around like you know our feet are on fire because we're freaking out we can't get these bigger fish to go you know um but it was also you know there was people fishing all over and we were kind of hearing the same story from other people that were catching yeah. you know the bigger bluegills and they were using bigger bigger baits even k-rips even you know so yeah last year was interesting just because the green sunfish haven't played a role i don't think in that lake in two years now out of the tournaments there where it was three three tournaments ago it made a huge deal but then the, the bluegills were that much bigger the last two years. Mm -hmm. No, this la last year they weren't. The, you needed the green sunfish in a way. But uh, um, two years prior to that, yeah, you didn't need them. You could go away with the bigger sunfish that you're catching. They're almost equal in the same size. So yeah, that lake changed. That's what's cool about that lake. Even though it does get hammered by the tournament every year, it, yeah. it changes. Yeah, there's something that changes that if you're not in tune with it, it's it's always it's always different. For sure. Are you do you fish the Frankies? Oh yeah. Yep. I didn't So I didn't. we yeah, we won it two years ago. Oh nice. Chad and I did. So yeah. Didn't get in it. I wasn't in it last year and I won't be in it this year. Uh didn't make the registration deadline. Which it's I can't believe that they'd set this thing up a year in advance. It's crazy. Uh, yeah. so I'll, this year I have to make sure I got 
whatever I need to make it to get in on I that. Think, I think the trick is just to be there at the way in. <laughs> yeah, just sign up right then and there. That's actually probably not a bad idea. That's, well, that's actually. what happens. It, it fills up then because everyone puts in their money, and it's that next day if they don't have it there. So it's almost like just give them your things. Okay, I'm in line. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. that's the only well, way I think it's going to happen. Need to go out there and just watch it if I ain't got anything better to do. Well, right. I think I wasn't even in town. I think that yeah, I wasn't. In fact, I was uh, I was guiding snow goose hunters down in Arkansas or something when that was going on. So I wasn't even Which, wasn't uh, present to do. Hey, I know it's tough. Like but this, well, I missed I missed a whole Minnesota made event last year, and I'm not doing that again. That was too torturous. <laughs> I mean, Lanky stepped in as a sub. I mean, he's definitely a good sub to have. Um, and they took second that day. Uh, oh, but sure. just not knowing, like being out there last event of the season, you know, it's like, uh, if we do really well and maybe Leif and Nick fall in their face, we have a chance to steal team of the year, you know, <laughs> if we do well. So it's like that whole, that, it was not even that though. I, I really just missed being on the ice with, with everybody sure. and, the, and the community that you build in these leagues too. That was, I was missing yeah. all that. And it's like, ah, this sucks. I'm not doing that again this year. So when I talked to Dean with Premier Flight, he was like, "All right, well, we gotta start planning for this spring." I'm like, "Let me stop you right there. I can't guide until March 1st because February 28th is our <laughs> last event." <laughs> I'm, I'm out. That's awesome. So yeah, that's. I finally found a hard line in my hobbies where I have to like really make a choice because usually I try to balance. Oh. You know, heck, I'll I'll goose hunt in the morning in the fall and then i'll go bass fish in the afternoon you know there's you can usually kind of juggle them a little bit you know or go sit in the deer stand at night and do mm-hmm. whatever in the morning like that you can you can make it work but when i have to be in oh, different that's... states that doesn't work oh yeah <laughs> no that's my biggest battle too is i'm a huge bow hunter and a huge duck hunter got less and less in the ducks just because of access right and trying to get on the lakes and it's like I got more into more bow hunting now. It's like I just wanted to shoot bigger, bigger deer and do all that. And so I go back and forth now, too. It's like this year I was all hardcore duck. I even took a week off to go, and that was the week it got super cold. And my my old man ended up getting COVID, all that stuff, so I couldn't hunt with him. And I'm like, what the heck's going on? And everything froze up, and I'm like, oh, this sucks. And then Because yeah. then after that, I, I'm dedicated. Once November comes or that last week of October to November, I'm straight deer hunting at that point. And right. That's always my battle. Do I go duck hunting? Do I go deer hunting? Do it's I, a tough and then... one. And that early, that early cold snap, really screwed up our our birds big time. I think it pushed a lot of them out, and and then it got warm. So what was left spread out. I mean, it, it really kind of screwed it up. But this is what it is. Yeah. You can't shoot them out. You can't shoot them from your couch, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, we just got to get out there. Well, you got your tournament. Uh, your lakes all picked out for UPO. No, I'm not doing – we oh, had and I tried to get into UPL, never did it. So this year it was just going to be NIFC again, but then the championship now just got rescheduled to March. And then well, – so we're probably going to do Okaboji, I think it's earlier January, maybe the second week of January. And then that might be the only one we do unless they had a Minnesota NIFC event or not. Oh, wow. know, we'll and then and then we got Frankie's. That's so well, my biggest thing go. right now is I have to get the shoulder checked out. I think I – I've had Uh-oh. shoulder issues the last two years, and I think I actually got a torn rotator cuff here or, or a torn bicep. Just so wheeling in those giant gills—that's that's takes uh, its toll, dude. 
I'm just, I'm, I had the MRI finally. I finally was able to get in because the house had COVID last week. Finally got an MRI last night. So I talked to the doctor on Friday. Finally, we'll see what the actual diagnosis is here and whether or not how much I'm ice fishing this year. So, Ooh, well, I wish you luck on that. Um, come a long way with stem cells. <laughs> you could yeah. Some stem cell treatment. Well, I thought about that, but you know. I'm not rich, and I can't really. Yeah, I know mean, that's the problem, food, right? <laughs> it's a, it's a money thing with the with the stem cells, and it's like, well, if they that if they work that much, why isn't this covered under insurance? You know. Yeah. But, and I don't know if the stem cells will actually. I think this one here is the tendon actually detached. So. Oof. This, the way it feels right now, it's it it hurts, and uh, yeah, I think this is going to be a not a pretty one. So we'll see what happens here. Oof. Oof the, well, I appreciate uh, appreciate your time and. Hopefully that yeah. that uh, isn't too major and heals up fast. That would be a brutal winter. Well, if no anything, fish. I we got the ice castle. I just had the wife maybe go. put on the Christmas list a lounge chair in there so I can sit in there and maybe I can just <laughs> dictate. Uh, you know, I got a, a nine and a six year old too now, and they're getting in my daughter after catching the twenty nine and a quarter inch walleye last year and all that stuff too. She's getting more and more into. That's a good one. Fishing, and I think my six-year-old is finally going to be able to fish by himself this year. Hopefully, you know, do the whole thing. Yeah, know, oh yeah. Do the vexlar, drop it down on his own, catch the fish his own, drop it down. I can maybe fish myself a little more. But either way, I think it's going to be more of just sitting in an ice castle and helping people fish more yeah, than anything with one arm, I guess. So let's pray for good ice and no slush this year, so we can actually get those wheelhouses on lakes other than Lake of the Woods. Yeah, exactly. That'd be nice, man. Exactly. All right. Well, it should be a good year. Yeah, well, I'll have to put my order in for two new schoolie rods, get them 20 inches. <laughs> yeah. A little faster action or a little little, little bendier than well, what I, would, I had. I would still say, I mean, there's a reason why I have these blue ones. This is one setup for this year is these ice blues don't ever really leave. And the reason why I'm doing it is I'm putting the three or four pound test on this one to identify that too. But, man, they sell those HT rods at the – at Walmart and just got to buy a number three fly rod tip. I, people keep on asking me if it's three millimeter or is it the number three? And I think it's just the number three because it's a smaller tip. That's always a question I get. And I, mm. you know, I don't know. I just always go in and to those places and ask for a number three and they gave me that size and I look at it and go, yep, that's the size I want. So and where, what are you, know, you throwing kinda... a, the handle on? You just, uh, like you're taking that rod. It just comes with that mm. handle on the, yeah, it the comes blue with ice? the sandal. Oh, okay. So My uh, tuned-up ones that I designed actually with Patrick Olson when he was working with tuned-up cups and rods, I actually made a thicker handle on it. And it was a 5-inch handle. The reason why I want a 5-inch handle is so I can wear gloves like I was stating. Mm. Is what I'll do is I'll stick this hand with a glove, and while I'm tight-lining when it's super cold, and stick my other hand on a, uh, uh, on a hand warmer in my pocket, you know, so I can sit there with one hand and go. Sure. But I'd put that a little thicker so it's a thicker profile that you grab on the glove and then still use the thumb. Keep it, keep your glove out of the way, and use your thumb as the drag still, with just that. And that's kind of what I like. So it's always that little. And I almost actually want them a little bigger in this, but and maybe the time bit longer. So then, what's nice about those ice blues is they're kind of long. You can hold the back side of them. Yeah, I wish I had know, mine in bit. here. Uh, I had Alan Kishler made me a couple, and he had the ends kind of nice. He made a little like bulb on the end, so it really just fits into your palm really nice when you're holding it. Sure. But the other thing I wanted to uh, bring up about that whole schoolie setup is that how light it is like when it really comes yeah. to what i did notice like when it does come to bite detection like it's so light like you kind of forget it's there so you're really feeling the weight of the jig more than anything else like you're not going to get that with the open face 
set up mm-hmm. with a spring bobber. I mean, you got all the gears and the metal and this and that, and that you're, you know, and then you want it really balanced and, you know, you're right. pistol jigging it or whatever. And, um, with that school, I was like, man, these things don't weigh anything. I mean, there's just nothing to it. And so it's like just your hand moving up and down. Yeah. It's well, and to me, that's about jig control too. That's back to the, you're feeling your jig that much more. That was the reason why I wanted the tuned up one compared to the HT. Which the HTs, is there a big, huge difference? Can I feel? You can still feel everything with the HTs too. I mean, you're just feeling the jig, how you're quivering, how you're moving, how you're bouncing it. You can feel that. And that's why you don't want the, uh, the what do you call it, the noodle rods or anything like that because you lose that control of what you're doing with the jig and the line and everything. Yeah. So and just you, having, light, having that lighter setup is what's cool. You wouldn't want a spring bobber on it at all because it's the same thing. Oh, as I your... do. I still, there's still some scenarios and they, like one of them I was telling you is about when I'm in my wheelhouse, that's for sure. I always spring bobbers just because I'm not fishing the daytime in my ice castle. It's oh, sure. It's a night dark. bite. Yeah. Yeah. It's a night bite and I'm not going to tight line and look over the hole for that long. <laughs> it's only daytime <laughs> yeah. stuff. Wreck your um, but then that's one, but two, I still have a couple spring bobber rods in my tournament night area. And it's more of, I think the times where I do break it out is when the crappies are so aggressive they super slack your line and i think what it is too is because what happens a lot is they slack your line so much um on a tight lining rod and they maybe even a heavier jig that if they hit you so hard that they ended up just losing control and then you pull that jig out of their hands it's where i've noticed where if you have a spring and you and they slack you so hard that when you have a spring on there and you set the hook, that give in there just gives that extra little second. It doesn't give the straight pull of the jig out of their mouth. That jig just kind of finds itself a little more. And I think that's the case. I barely use it, um, but it's in my it's in my bag each day for each tournament because there's times where I just notice I'm getting slacked that hard all the time where it's just – you have days like that where crappies are just suicidal. And Are you still that, running that a, schoolie reel? a schoolie reel on oh, that yeah. setup? Oh, okay. Yeah, yes. As I say, there's you, you look at Myron Gilbert he's probably he well he is 100 spring bobber guy and he's a 100 schoolie reel guy but he's the hmm. same thing fiberglass rod with his he actually puts a uh i was uh staying at his house and he showed me in his basement he rings up he actually uses i don't know what pound i forget what pound test the leader he uses but he just ties a steel leader type of spring bobber on his end of his rods oh really you know so he's yeah so he's just using a spring bobber that way too you know so oh okay different ways to yeah, there's different ways to do it. Again, the schoolie rod is more for the jig control, and it's not about the tight lining. It just it kind of just goes hand in hand with the tight lining because, like you're saying, it's lighter. You get more mm-hmm. control. It's that. That's the reason why I use the schoolie. It's not necessary for the tight lining. You can tight line again with any rod. You just have to have the old line. That's all it right. is. Right. Yeah. Sure. That makes sense. All right. Well, I hope we answered everybody's questions that uh, I yeah. couldn't answer for them because <laughs> I'm new to it. I'm this is. This week and this past weekend was the first time I, I have attempted it. So uh, I do like it. I think it's, uh, it wasn't that different from um, how I use spring bobbers. It's just changing my focus to up to down in the hole. And I do think on windy days it's going to come in pretty clutch. So, Right. Well, again, too, it's just another tool in your bucket and – Exactly. It's something that yeah. I started with too. And it just, it's fun doing. It's it's a it's a different style, and a lot of guys always compare it to like trout fishing, where you're watching your line that way too, and all that kind of stuff. You're watching your strike indicators that way too, out the water, and yeah, it's just I'm a line watcher. Cool. Cool I'm a line watcher when I bass fish. Thing, so. 
when I in the summertime when I'm bass yeah. fishing, whether it's a Senko or a jig or whatever, I, I'm always watching my line. You see that thing twitch or do anything it's not supposed to do? <sighs> Give her the old build dance because I mean it it changed for a reason. I mean sometimes <laughs> it's because it fell off a stick or it hit a weed weird. But hey, hook sets are free unless you lose it. That's the same with the tight lining rod. Just remember to drop your rod tip. Yeah, drop your rod tip. I'm gonna have to remember that. Um, I gotta remember to do that. That that is gonna be more of a muscle memory thing that I'll have to. Well, that's the thing too. Keep that in your pocket too for a spring bobber bite. If you notice you're missing, to drop it. Mm. Yeah, I think a guy even wrote an article on it called "Bowdy Your Gills." Bowdy Your Gills. It was was a pretty cool article. I remember that was that's an older article now. I think now too, seven eight years old. Someone wrote that. That kind of, you think about that, I put hand in hand of, the only reason I knew to do that while tight lining is because that's what Dave Young and Dave, uh, Dave Young and Mike Bodecker told me to do. So that's why sure. I've always done it. Right. And they've always told me why. And there's, it's always, it's all, I learned everything I could from them. And then I remember reading that article and I was like, you know, that's the same thing. Out of your gills. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah. All right. Well, now I got, uh, I got some stuff to go practice. <laughs> of course, I got the live show coming up this weekend. The live yeah. ice show with uh, Doug fun. and Patrick. That is going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And then uh, I'm actually in Texas the following weekend. Uh, so, yeah, I won't get to ice fish for like two weeks. It's terrible. If I could actually lift up a gun with my other arm, I'd come with you. I didn't, I didn't get enough waterfall this year. <laughs> I, I normally wish, do. I wasn't going, I'm not going down there to shoot birds. I'm going down there to, to oh, fish, actually. Yeah, and then hopefully, uh, well, I'm doing a podcast down there, too, with the, the charter. Um, that's kind of the reason I'm going down there. So okay. I like to spread out, uh, do some different stuff. Hopefully, you know, grand scheme future for full skeletons podcast is to, uh, really spend a lot of time traveling and, uh, just reaches many different networks and different kinds of people and different walks of life in the outdoor spaces as I can and not be, you know, just Midwest here and spread my wings and fly. Well, that's the cool thing about all these media outlets is you can give different perspectives. I'm not an elk hunter, but I watch man, I watch that born and raised stuff. Yeah, totally. dude, I love I love man, watching I watch elk hunting. Yeah, yeah so. I same. I have never elk hunted, but I never tire somebody going elk. Well, arch I should say archery. I have I have like zero interest in rifle hunting anything. So, um, yeah. well, me a, too. I'm I love bow. Way. I love bow hunting, and I love watching bow hunting. So, yeah, and someday, I mean, it's on my again. Not, that goes back to what we were talking about before. Uh, having to share time i want to go elk hunting i want to go in the rut you know september that's really goose i still usually have a couple <laughs> bass tournaments in september like how am i going to do this and the only way it's going to happen is i need to just make up my mind okay this fall i'm I'm going to do elk hunting so i'm just going to not have i'm going to miss out on some goose hunts that's just what's going to have to happen so well see that's that's what i did i gave up my early goose. i goose hunting used to be my thing and I just not not anymore just uh going around trying to find spots doing all that stuff it just got too much and then the goose on was my shtick and then it just all right that's the thing that can go because it's oh, just you know yeah. and all and all said and done because i'm a i am more of a duck hunter so when it comes to ah, two field sure. hunting or water i'd rather sure. hit water i'm that guy but the early season goose is you can't beat it i get my fill but now i've lost my fill now because i haven't really done it in a while. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah i haven't lost see. it i i still I, I still want it, but I do know I'm going to have to compromise. Like, I, I do want to experience elk hunting in the mountains during the rut. Yeah. I want to hear those bulls screaming, well, you know, more than likely come home with a tag still in my pocket, but I just want to experience it and, and get out there. 
and I'm not afraid to hike in either. I'm not, I mean, I'm going right. to, you know, I'm not going to be like the majority of people that hunt, you know, one mile from the trailhead. Like, no, no, let, let's, if we're going to do this, we're going to yeah. do this. Let's go. Let's get in there. I ain't afraid of the hard work. So it's a commitment and it seems like the guys who are successful, the guys who don't quit like anything else, you know, we just got to go from what I can tell. I did it. I did it one day. I was playing junior hockey in Helena, Montana for about a month and a half. And my trainer there, you want to go elk hunting with me? I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, so I went yeah. one day with him. <laughs> He's a, he was a trout guy, too, in that area. So he had permission oh, to go nice. to private land. We drove up to the top, gets out of his truck, does a bugle. They're bugling on the other side of the ridge from us. And we saw two big ones, never got in, and then that was it. That's one day I remember going. That was when I was 18. So that was That's the, still exciting right there. 24 years ago. So Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> let's see. I'm not going to talk about it. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was 18 it was more than that so anyways <laughs> Lawrence thank you for your time right, let's uh let's wrap this yeah. one up let's slap this thing together put it out on Thursday well and uh more guys want uh questions or anything like that just find me on Facebook and ping me I know guys ask me all the time tight lining stuff it's just it's a fun way to fish no doubt it is uh, I think I'm gonna quickly quickly become quickly become a fan <laughs> Yeah, hopefully we'll uh, share the ice someday. And, huh? Oh, we definitely got to do that this year. Well, especially yeah. we'll see how the arm goes. But well, way, yeah, we'll, uh, keep keep me posted we'll get on out that. There. And uh, yeah, yeah, let's go target some big gills somewhere. And that'd be fun. Sounds good, man. Cool, dude. Take it easy. Okay. Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at Ooh. that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.